This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. Mr. Greg Tucker is on his usual Monday. Good, and, uh, good morning. And pretty busy doing all kinds of stuff, Greg, because I haven't seen you except on the show. And That's you, right. You have so many things going on. Yeah, too many things probably. <laughs> Time of year to start slowing, slowing down, but... Uh, well, let me be the first to wish you a happy Columbus Day. Today's a federal holiday. I don't know how much that reaches down here, but it's a federal holiday. And when you live and work in the Washington, D.C. area, that's a big deal. But uh, may not have much impact here. I, did, I really didn't know. Well, Truman, you will need to change your why it looks i like the orange it looks good on me i'm a big ut fan hold on let me change uh he's taking off his headphones and picking up the blue mic uh, uh, right. yes. blue mic let's see if that works any better <coughs> all right i have changed well, get, 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 give me a rating on this particular headphone because I don't have a clue. It's Monday. I tell you what, I will, I'll just. It's let, not that it's uh, Monday. Greg it's uh, that mic talking. just didn't work before uh, your orange mic, but you're good to go. So you and Greg just take off and have a good show. Well, thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate that. That was a familiar voice. But you, you're still low to me. He's it's amazing. Right. Well, let me make a little bit of a pessimistic prediction. We're going to lose Columbus Day as Columbus Day, I think, over the next several years. What did Columbus do that's bad according to today's world? Well, I'm not going to speculate what others think, but I do know that uh, the president has declared this Indigenous Persons Day, which I think is a way of saying Native American, which is a way of not saying Indian, because that's confusing. Uh, but uh, right now, many people are celebrating or observing Indigenous Persons Day. Oh, good gosh. So uh, Columbus Day probably will begin to disappear. I wonder what we'll do with things like the District of Columbia. Uh, but uh, so happy Indigenous Persons Day, Truman. <laughs> Well, the next thing that's going to happen is going to be Happy Jane Fonda Day. It seemed like that's the direction that we're going. Right uh, you're now. getting very extreme now. Uh, it's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. Mm -hmm. It's still the greatest uh, nation in the world, but I don't know how much more pressure it could stand. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of pressure, what have you been doing lately? Uh, as you know, and everybody else seemed to know, I was selling my house, and I was looking for a, a condo, and I uh, found one that I, I that I did like, and it's over in Georgetown, and pretty much had it bought, and then all of a sudden, uh, from out of nowhere, an unbelievable uh, price for it came down, and uh, someone else. I, I said, you know. My house is looking real good right now, so I have decided to stay in it, which was the smartest decision I ever made because, uh, uh, be perfectly honest, a, a number of the people who live in Georgetown came to me and, and, and said that 
they they wanted me as a neighbor neighbor which is i know it's shocking you but um uh, I, I did love them over there a lot of good great people but there's nothing like home as judy garland said so i am uh, i'm staying home and, and my boys uh uh, Jason and Barry did such a great job working on the place, and and um, I feel I feel like that's where I need to be, and so I'm going to be there for the rest of my life, and and I, I am so happy that I finally uh, my mind started working in a correct way, <laughs> which is unusual. Well, the realities of the prices being paid for properties, homes in this. Fair County yeah. is is hard to believe. Yeah, my my realtor said he couldn't believe what was offered. So. Yeah, and uh, you know if you're trying to be realistic, it's it's hard to it's hard to buy now. Yeah, uh, well, um, it it gave me a, another view of all of my memories and what that home meant to me and and raising up the kids and being with my wife all those years it uh um it it, it made an impact on me so i uh i am uh very happy i feel much better and um it, it's uh i'm not going to be a judgment judge for anyone else but for myself uh it, it made a big difference well, my congratulations to you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and I'm I'm actually closer to to you and Madrid. Y'all are not that far. If from you me. if you stay where you are, you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's convenient. If we're going to do something together, I only have to drive to your house because you always insist on driving. And, well, uh, I'm scared of your driving. <laughs> Plus, it takes forever to get there. Well, I, I could be there in ten minutes to some place we're going. It takes you an hour and a half. Yeah, and when you're driving, my knuckles usually turn white. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you do drive a little faster than I do. But let's see. Last week we touched upon a neglected, in my opinion, neglected part of our history which is Reconstruction. Remember our discussion around that. Uh, I have developed uh, a theory, I guess you'd call it, of my own, that much of the excesses of what is generally called the Jim Crow era were a reaction to the excesses on the other side during Reconstruction. Yeah. Because that was a very uh, trying, damaging period for the uh, the southern states, with the possible exception of Tennessee, and even in Tennessee, but uh, considerably less, as we were noting. <clears throat> and uh, we had found, and we touched on a little bit last, last week, and today I just thought I'd read the full testimony, which is only a page or two, yeah. from uh, William Spence, who was the only Rutherford representative uh, and one of the few actually from the state that testified at the first hearing report on uh, what's called a report on reconstruction. What was going on, to remind everybody, is uh, the question of whether or not the Confederate States. Well, we we have a visitor. We'll hold that for just a second. We Joyce Johnson. You this morning. Joyce Johnson, former president of the Historic Society, a resident here. Ah, yes, they're lining up for flu shots. And that's the regular flu shot. Yeah, we we I assume have been. Vaccinated for the COVID in order to be here. Right. All right. Good to see you, Joyce. Yeah. Miss Joyce Johnson. Mrs. Joyce Johnson. Which uh, brings up a question. Uh, who was this guy that they named that era for? Who was the guy that did what? <laughs> Uh, I, I, no matter what Brian says, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Are you? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, maybe it's because I'm having a hard time speaking this morning. Jim Crow era. Who was yeah. Jim Crow? Why do we call it a Jim Crow era? What in the world is Jim Crow? Who? What did he do? Uh, he he was uh, someone who um, uh, would be very uh, negative toward people, and and he was always patting himself on the back. Truman, I think that's where. Uh, yeah, Truman's making this up, but it's entertaining. Go ahead. <laughs> He was always crowing about himself. See, that's where we got that <laughs> Jim little... Jim Crow. Well, you yeah. may be closer than you think you are. Yeah. Uh, there was never an individual named Jim Crow that, <laughs> that in the vaudeville area, which actually was a good many couple decades after Reconstruction, but during the vaudeville area, era, there was a character that would appear in many of the minstrel, or the minstrel era, I guess, shows... And he was a black stereotype, would be played by whichever actor was available and whichever troupe was putting on the show, uh, but was just the black stereotype character that would be added to where the name Jim Crow came from. I've not been able to come up with any theories, except it uh, seems to be a popular characterization. I'm remembering Dumbo. The Walt Disney movie, the, the great singers. Yeah, the Crows. They yeah. they were they stole the show. Uh, so maybe some connection there. But yeah, Jim Crow was a fictitious character that uh, played as a stereotype in the minstrel shows of the 1890s, 1900s, in that period. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when it became a uh, way of characterizing a, a period in our history, but uh, that's where the Jim Crow, Jim Crow era comes from. Uh, but we don't have any text from Jim Crow or anybody playing that role. We do have one for, and it intrigues me that he's identified as Colonel William Spence from Rutherford County or from specifically Murfreesboro in Rutherford County. The Spence family was incredibly uh, influential during all of the 1800s, before the war, after the war. Mm -hmm. William Spence, in particular, started the first bank, the Exchange Bank, which uh, some years ago I did some research on the Exchange Bank, partly because they were the one of the few banks that actually issued $3 bills, which uh, another phrase in our idiom, when something is very, very strange, very odd, someone might say, well, that's queer as a $3 bill. Well, before the Civil War, $3 bills were very much in circulation mm -hmm. in uh, Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, because the Exchange Bank was issuing their own currency, which uh, the only paper currency prior to the Civil War was bank-issued, at least in this area. The federal government and the states did not issue currency in paper form. There were coins, of course. The coin of the realm was the silver or gold piece issued by the federal government. Uh, but the banks, to facilitate commerce, were authorized to issue their own currency and, of course, to back their own currency. So the currency issued by the Exchange Bank back in the 1850s became worthless when the bank failed, and it did fail uh, before the Civil War. Uh, and uh, William Spence, and I think it was his brother, was a partner with him, uh, lost rather heavily. And uh, I noticed that when they started the uh, testimony of Spence, I mean, why was Spence there? As you listen to the testimony, you'll see he was a, uh, for lack of a better term, a loyalist, a unionist. Mm -hmm. He was one of the uh, leaders of the community who uh, chose to sympathize and work with uh, the Union Army when it came in. Uh, so he's called as a witness on Reconstruction, and the question being, should Tennessee be immediately admitted back into the Union and given full representation in Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, the state had elected 
congressman, and they were waiting for uh, admission back into the into the Congress. But it, they began by saying uh, to Colonel William Spence. Now, I don't think he had a title in the Union Army. He may have been a colonel in the militia, or they may have just been using that as a honorific title. But he's identified as Colonel William Spence. And the question, the first question was, uh, where do you reside? What's your occupation? He said, I reside three miles from the city of Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, Tennessee. My business now is farming. So it was obvious he had gotten out of the bank business, gotten out of the other activity. Uh, are you a native of Tennessee? No, sir, I've been there ever since I was five years old, but I was born in Ireland. Are you in any public employment at this time? He says, I was elected to the Senate of the Legislature of Tennessee and am at present a member of that body. Have you been in Tennessee during the last five years? And of course, they're referring to the war years. Mm -hmm. He says, yes, sir, I've been there all the time and at home when I could stay there. Were you the owner of slave property when the rebellion broke out? Answer, yes, sir. Question, what is the condition of public sentiment in the state of Tennessee or in the different portions of the state as regards loyalty to the federal government? And what is the condition of the freedmen and the condition of the loyal union men, those who have adhered to the government during the last five years? His answer, first, with regard to the union feeling in the state, among those who have been in the rebellion and have been pardoned, if the question was in reference to obeying the law, I think that most of them would be inclined to obey the law. Still, according to my judgment, they would have no very kind feeling towards the government. But I think they would obey the law as near as you could get any body of men to do it. I think the poorer classes who have been in the rebellion could be made truly loyal if proper efforts were made. They are ignorant and need education. In the county where I live, the condition of the freedmen, that's the term they use for the former slaves, freedmen, yeah. is very good. There is an agency of the Freedmen's Bureau there but there have been very few cases that have to be taken before it for adjustment. The federal government during this period when uh, the states were under, the Confederate states were placed under martial law, they set up basically a court, uh, but also a, what would you say, social welfare agency distributing money. But if uh, any other freedmen had a an issue, they could go to the Freedmen's Bureau and essentially get an adjudic adjudication, as you would from a court, yeah. uh, and uh, an order or resolution of the dispute. Uh, the freedmen have behaved, ex he's talking again about in Rutherford County, the freedmen have behaved exceedingly well and have obtained fair wages. When their time was out this year, see we're a year out now, they commenced hiring out again on farms for $15 a month and board. It sounds like the beginning of the tenant farmer era, yeah. the sh sharecropper era. When their time, well, yeah, uh, I think everything with the freedmen is working well. The poorer classes of whites are not getting along as well. They have no schools where they have no land, they cannot get employment as readily as the colored men can. The richer men, the richer men, talking about the landowners, will not employ them, where the truth is they are not as valuable for laboring as the Negroes are. According to my judgment, the poorer classes of white people, not only in Tennessee, but all over the South, are scarcely able to take care of themselves they are inclined to be idle and lazy and think it degrading to work. He's very hard on his own people, but yeah. you see the distinction he makes between educated, wealthier, and what he calls the poorer classes. Yeah. I only know from report about other parts of Tennessee. 
the eastern portion of the state where almost three-fourths of all the loyal people of the state live is in a peculiar condition in regard to politics. The Union people in any section, Middle Tennessee, consider it absolutely necessary for the good of the country that the Negro should have his rights in courts, and not only that, but that we should at least inaugurate the principle that those who have fought in the, ar in the army should have the right to vote, as well as those who pay taxes and those who can read and write. It makes point there that literacy was required for voting rights at the time and was generally accepted as reasonable. But our union friends in the eastern portion of the state, as we understand it, almost to a man, although the best union men in the land are opposed to any such thing. Now that's an interesting point that I had not come across before, and we see it several times in the testimony. East Tennessee was the most loyal uh, to the Union yeah. and uh, a very aggressively loyal to the Union. Uh, but they are resisting most aggressively in the Reconstruction, early Reconstruction area. The uh, uh, points he just made, the uh, who should have the right to vote uh, because in the East Tennessee, their majority is, are Union sympathized, Union loyalists. Yeah. Apparently don't want to give the vote up to those who are in the rebellion, but they also don't want the uh, freedmen to be able to uh, vote and exercise legal rights. That's a strange stance that they took, wasn't it? Yeah, again, I'm speculating a little, but there was a very limited population of uh, slaves in East Tennessee yeah. relative to middle and particularly relative to West Tennessee, which is the yeah. big uh, plantations mostly. Uh, he goes on commenting on West Tennessee. He says, I think the disloyal sentiment is much greater in West Tennessee than in Middle Tennessee, but how far that disloyal sentiment would be carried out if opportunity presented, I have no means of knowing. Whether it would go so far as disobedience to the law I do not know. I think it probable that in some portions of the state there might be some lawless fellows who would disobey the laws. Question to him. You speak of the operation of the Freedmen's Bureau in your county. Do you think it is working advantageously to the planters and to the freedmen in your county? His answer. There must be some tribunal before which, if there is any dispute, it can be settled. So he's referring to the judicial role that the Bureau is playing. Mm -hmm. But we really have had no use for it of any consequence because we were organized and getting along very well before there was any Bureau established there. And I endeavored to have a law passed by the legislature which would have prevented our having any use for it in our section, but we failed to get it. In other words, he tried to block the Freedmen's Bureau from yeah. being set up in Rutherford County. And in fact, if you go to judicial records, you'll see that the courts were almost on an informal basis, but uh, they were functioning because you see uh, land, dis land disputes and estates being processed through the Rutherford County courts even before this. Uh, question, how does this new system of paid labor seem to satisfy the intelligent people? the intelligent people of Tennessee. His answer, in my judgment, it satisfies them remarkably well. I know it satisfies me. He considers himself one of the intelligent people. Yeah. I have made the experiment. I allowed the freedmen I employed to have pretty much their own way, and they made as much as they ever made when slaves. I made as much as any of my neighbors made the past year. In fact, I think I made more. I do not hold at all to the idea that Negroes will not work for compensation. Question, what in your opinion would be the effect at the next election in Tennessee of admitting her representatives into Congress now? Would it result to the advantage of the union men of the state to admit the Tennessee representatives at this time? And he says, I think it would have good effect. It would set the whole machinery of the state in motion and the people would become identified with and better satisfied with the government of the United States 
even those who have been in the rebellion. My judgment would be that different candidates would come out at another election, and in some sections, what we term radical men would be elected. He's referring there to the uh, the northern, and in some cases, what we later call the carpetbaggers, the radicals. Yeah, uh, they were on the union side. Conservatives, and in other sections, what we call conservatives would be elected, and he's referring there to the uh, former confederates. But I think that in hardly any case, at least not in Middle Tennessee, would they elect what would be called rebels, men who have been in the rebel army and taken an active part in favor of the rebellion. They will be afraid if they should put up such men that the poorer classes would be arrayed against them by the Union people, which I think can be done in every district in Middle and West Tennessee. And if they do that, we will have a civil war at home. I really think it would have a very beneficial effect to admit our representatives now. I live in as bad a rebel district as any in the state of Tennessee, not originally any worse than the others, but they all got into it at last. The rich men had influence and made the poor people go into the rebellion, but I do not think they have that influence any longer. Interesting that a businessman, a wealthy family, uh, takes that attitude that the rich men had the influence and made the poor people go into the rebellion. But then he reassures us with, but I do not think they have that influence any longer. And he suggests that not getting back into the state would leave the state in a possible position of a local civil war between the former rebels and the former loyalists. Interesting view from William Spence. It's almost like, listening to all that, that it's like a um, foreign country had come into another country, taken over, and their uh, their judgments are uh, according to what they really want things to be. It's it's it's, it's hard to. Uh, I I would hate to be in a position back then on either side in those situations. Very difficult period. Yeah, and, uh, it really was. If you can attribute to Spence self-interest, as we all have, uh, he seems to be going both ways yeah on one hand he says you know everything's fine let's go with it but then on the other at the end of his testimony he's cautioning the u.s congress at the uh, reporting here that uh, you need to be very careful that we have a potentially uh, hostile situation here and it needs not yeah. to be uh, exacerbated we think we take, need to take a break all right all right we'll be right back with you I'm Carly Henry, and I love Adam's Place. We do enjoy the book reviews, and we play cards a lot. Play hand and foot, and I've learned to play bridge since I've been here, and that's been a lot of fun, and we play billiards. I would encourage my friends to come to Adam's Place because that Adam's Place is the premier facility of this type, then it's a good choice. Del Wamsley here. The first thing you're going to have to learn is until you stop expecting the politicians or anyone else to change your life, your life isn't going to change. The only person who can change your life is you, but you need to know how. Turn off the pundits and turn on the passive income. Tune in to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Listen to my show, the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Catch the Del Wamsley Radio Show Monday through Saturday, 11 to noon, here on News Radio WGNS. Hey gentlemen, it's Scott. Make your health a priority with a quick and easy health assessment at Low T Center right here in Murfreesboro, where they exclusively specialize in men's wellness and they are one of the leading men's medical providers in the country. Low T Center has reinvented the doctor's visit, making it quick and easy to get all your levels checked, not just your testosterone levels. It starts with an annual wellness exam, where they do a comprehensive health assessment so that you know all your numbers that are important to your health. If you've been feeling tired, grumpy, notice 
increased weight gain or a loss of muscle mass. These could all be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center can determine the cause and help. And now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatments, providing convenience and additional health monitoring measures for your safety, including a take-home blood pressure monitoring cuff. Self-inject at-home treatments are $155 a month, self-pay, or covered by most health insurance. Go to LowTCenter.com now to book your appointment. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. Our people, that's the difference. Maples Realty and Auction. I'm Betsy Maples-Taylor with Maples Realty and Auction Company in Murfreesboro. Here's a look at our upcoming auction. Absolute auction on a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath home with a two-car garage and two-car detached garage in Murfreesboro. Also selling personal property that day, Saturday, October 16th at 10 a.m. Real estate will sell at 11 a.m. More information at maplesrealtyandauction.com. Maples Realty and Auction. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. Saturday morning proved to be the perfect day for the middle half marathon. Shortly after the sun rose, the start countdown began on East Main in front of Central Magnet School. The Parks and Recreation Director fired the pistol and the 1,500 runners were off. This was the 14th running of the middle half. The first runner to cross the finish line, 25-year-old Kaigan Kamaldi of Murfreesboro. His time was 1 hour, 6 minutes, and 30 seconds. The seventh runner to chip in was the first female across, 36-year-old Gisela Olalde from Nashville. Her time was an hour, 17 minutes, 16 seconds. The youngest runner to place in the middle half was age 14, and the oldest was 83. It was a tough weekend for Middle Tennesseans to fly in or out of Nashville. Cancellations of more than 1,000 flights nationwide by Southwest Airlines led to stranded passengers at BNA. More than 20 Southwest flights were affected at Nashville International Airport yesterday. Among those affected, Trevecca Nazarene University's cross-country team, which had to switch to the train after its return flight home to Nashville from Chicago, was canceled. In a statement, Southwest says they cancel flights beginning Friday because of weather in Florida and air traffic control issues, but not because of staffing shortages. Governor Bill Lee and state education leaders say they plan to review the funding formula for Tennessee's K-12 schools. Lee and State Education Commissioner Penny Schwinn said they'll be seeking input from school leaders, families, and other members of the public into how the system can be improved. They want to put together a proposal for state lawmakers next year. The current funding program, called the Basic Education Program, has been criticized for being outdated and overly complicated since it was adopted almost three decades ago. Follow us on Twitter at WGNS Radio. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. Skies become mostly sunnier this afternoon with a high in the mid-80s. Winds out of the south around 10 to 15 miles per hour, gusting as high as 25. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 67. Premier Six Theater on Broad and Jackson Heights, showing all of your favorite movies. Call their hotline 896-4100 or go seeamovie.com. Popcorn pop fresh daily. Their movie hotline 896-4100 or go seeamovie.com. Premier Six on Broad and Jackson Heights. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And welcome with Greg Tucker on the Greg Tucker Show. And um, so far, I am just completely baffled 
about what was going on during that reconstruction period well we, it's it's all over the place yeah we have reviewed the testimony of a, a rutherford county local a man of some influence in the area and he's essentially saying if you don't let us back into the nation into the congress and such uh, things may come apart but right now his view is you know we're all ready and and uh, we're behaving and uh, you need to let us in. As you would expect, the people conducting, the congressmen conducting the uh, hearings wanted to hear the other side. Mm -hmm. And uh, what they did, they called several of the uh, uh, generals in the Union Army, which was, keep this in mind, martial laws in place. Yeah. And this is January 1866, less than a year after the end of the war. Yeah. And... Uh, they bring in to testify the generals or several of the generals who are in charge of the occupation that's going on and uh, some of the same questions but interesting how it starts off one direction but then shifts for instance major general george h thomas is called and he is uh basically the uh, senior military officer over the uh, Tennessee and the occupation of Tennessee and uh, the question to him is your opinion as to whether the admission into Congress of the representatives from Tennessee would tend to encourage the loyal people of Tennessee and strengthen the feeling of loyalty in that state okay the general starts off on a positive point he says I think it would very much uh, would not only encourage the loyal people to exert themselves but it would encourage the rebels to return to their loyalty because they would see that their chances and hopes for another outbreak were passing away from them. You get the underlying. He's mm. suggesting there's still a sense there that they want to go their own way. If you will permit me to give additional reasons why I think the delegation from Tennessee should be admitted, I'll do so. Certainly, state any reasons you may desire. The general again. I think the delegation from the state of Tennessee should be admitted into Congress for the reason that that state, of her own accord, has complied with every instruction of the president and has done all that it was believed it would be necessary for her to do in order to gain admission into Congress. All they have done on their own accord in Tennessee. You see, this is uh, reflecting what uh, our military governor, Andrew Johnson, managed mm -hmm. to do before he left office. Uh, they have repudiated the rebel debt. That apparently was a big issue. There was a big Confederate uh, debt had been run up. Yeah. And uh, they want the loyalists to say, tough. We're going to, we're not going to, Tennessee is not going to contribute to paying off that debt. Yeah. That changed some years later, but uh, that's the position. Uh, they have abolished slavery and also adopted a constitutional amendment upon that subject. They have passed a franchise law prohibiting from voting every man who has been engaged in the rebellion. And I believe they have now passed a bill giving the Negro the right to testify in the courts. And all the members elected to Congress can take the, text oath, the test oath, both senators and representatives. And if their representatives shall be admitted into Congress, it will be a precedent for all the other southern states they can see at once the reasons why the Tennessee members are admitted and that if they expect their members to be admitted they must do as she has done she being Tennessee you know to be a little bit uh, uh, cynical Tennessee has rolled over and done everything that the president Abraham Lincoln has said has to be done yeah and uh, done it in a way that appears to be you know enthusiastic but then the next question uh, they asked the general whether if the delegation should be admitted into Congress it would be safe for martial law to be then abrogated which means ended taken away in the state of Tennessee quick answer I would not abrogate martial law in Tennessee just yet yeah uh, not yet even if the Tennessee delegation should be admitted into Congress no sir 
I would admit the delegation from Tennessee simply to encourage the people of Tennessee to return to their loyalty. And also as an example to the other states, you have it in your power to show them plainly and clearly why they should, uh, why they are admitted at once and the rest are not. That is because none of the other states have complied with the same conditions that they have in Tennessee. I got the general going on. They ask him, why uh, have you any reason to believe that the people of Tennessee still entertain the opinion or that any considerable portion of them do that there may be another outbreak? Answer, I have received communications from various persons in the South that there was an understanding among the rebels and perhaps organizations formed or forming for the purpose of gaining as many advantages for themselves as possible. And I have heard it also intimated that these men are very anxious and would do all in their power and their power to involve the United States in a foreign war so that if a favorable opportunity should offer, they might turn against the government of the United States again. I do not think they will ever again attempt an outbreak on their own account because they all admit that they had a fair trial in the late rebellion and got thoroughly worsted. There is no doubt but what there is a universal disposition among the rebels in the South to embarrass the government in its administration if they can so as to gain as many advantages for themselves as possible. You can see the general throwing it back the other way now. Yeah. Uh, this is still a dangerous situation and uh, we should uh, move cautiously with respect to martial law. Uh, well, when you're talking about the cost um, of, of the war and, and Tennessee standing on its own feet to have to pay for it, so much was destroyed during that war, especially in the state of Tennessee, uh, they wouldn't have the ability to, to, to uh, um, uh, pay back all the things that, that no. they needed to. Now we we know the federal government eventually started paying reparations. Yeah. But then only to those who were loyal, and uh, in the opinion of the federal government. Yeah. And uh, you know make application, and those payments some of them did not actually materialize until well into the next century. Yeah. Like 1900s, 1908, 1912. Before it's some almost of them were impossible made. to be fair, isn't it? Because <laughs> look how many people lost their land and lost their farms that didn't even participate in the war. Right. It, it, it's a... Uh, right. And only a, f a very small fraction of that was ever subject to reparation payments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine if, if uh, what you would do if some, if, if this was in the 18, middle of 1860s and and um, you were just doing all your work in farming that you had done all your life, and you had worked hard to to uh, gain ownership of that property, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's gone. Well, there were, uh, as a practical matter, some of the few big landowners in Rutherford County were quick to uh, switch to what the federal government wanted, and that was contract labor. Yeah. And the Freedmen Bureau was supposedly there to adjudicate disputes in the contracts yeah and it sounds rather limited today but uh fifteen dollars a month plus room and board sounds an awful lot like the system that existed before the war yeah uh, except that uh the laborer could walk away if he wanted to uh but that meant no income and uh the former slaves had no property to work on their own immediately after the war. So the federal government has decided what we need to do is get the former slaves and the landowners to make contracts, and we'll call it contract labor, Yeah. and move on from there. Yeah. Uh, but this particular general, he goes on in his testimony to talk about how uh, there still is strong lingering hope. Uh, a great many of the rebels are going to work quietly to cultivate their farms. A great many of them say they failed in their attempt to gain their 
independence of the United States and that they now wish to be quiet citizens of the country and are going to turn their attention to farming again. But then he goes on to say, but there are those who still believe that they should uh, be out of the United States and have their own, uh, their own country. After being a participant in the war, it would be hard not to have your opinions changed by some of the atrocities that went on during the war. Right. Uh, the business about the debt. By the 1880s, Tennessee is on its own and did pick up one significant uh, Confederate debt, as most of the southern states did over time, and that is pensions for the former soldiers. And uh, Rutherford County was very much involved there because the governor who signed the legislation giving the Confederate veterans pensions uh, was Governor Buchanan from mm -hmm. Rutherford County. He was a rather short-term governor, and really it's hard to find anything else that he did of positive consequence. Yeah. But he did, uh, and it was, you know, a limited uh, amount, but he made, he signed the legislation making available pension payments to the Confederate veterans, yeah. if nothing else, as a thank you gesture from the state of Tennessee, as well as some support, financial support. Yeah. Each general, how, how, how many generals did they have participating in that? In specifically the uh, focus on Tennessee, I think they called four or five of the generals. Yeah. Another one that maybe we'll do in future shows was the general who was in charge of the Freedmen's Bureau. Yeah. That was under the military, the martial law. And uh, he, of course, is complimenting his own work, but he also is pretty candid about uh, there's an awful lot of resentment out there, and if we weren't there, it's probably uh, likely or possible that it could boil over again. Uh, we know the ultimate outcome. Tennessee was admitted back into the Union. Yeah. And fairly soon thereafter, we can check the dates next week, uh, martial law was lifted. Uh, but uh, it continued in some of the rest of the states. Who was that? Mike. Huh? Mike Waller. Oh, was that Mike? Oh. Yeah. Um, one of the things, how many of these generals actually participated on the battlefield? Oh, these, I don't know that for sure, but probably to be major generals, they were involved in that time. But uh, the names were not familiar in terms of the battles, particularly yeah. the Tennessee battles. Now, one of them says he spent most of the war in Memphis. Uh, you know, Memphis fell fairly quickly and became a Union stronghold yeah. uh, early in the war, uh, mainly because they were uh, invaded on the river, by the river, uh, and he spent most of his time there, but there was very little uh, hot war, so to speak, in Memphis after it was first taken. Well, with the lifting of martial law, was there any type of normality uh, opened up during that particular time? I uh, remember they were talking several years out, which sounds very close when you look back. You know, 1869, well, that yeah. sounds awfully close to the end of the war. Yeah. That's four years. So, you know, martial law continued for three or four years in Tennessee and for double that in some of the other states. Yeah. So the, the state, in, in a lot of ways, is still suffering no matter oh, yeah. how you look at still it. Still rebuilding. I think yeah. Tennessee was being pragmatic and practical, and Andrew Johnson was a large part of that. Yeah. And uh, should probably be celebrated in Tennessee more than he is. Uh, at the time, uh, the <coughs> those who had been sympathetic to the rebellion, probably thought of Johnson as a traitor to their cause. Yeah. Uh, but He's I, not looked at very favorably. No, but I think he was taking the long view. He says, you know, this war is going to be over. Uh, clearly the Confederacy is going to be outlasted. And uh, we need to be able to move quickly to get, you know, get industry back up, farms back in production, people back into their homes. And uh, 
initiated the steps that were cited here by the general. Uh, remember the general's view was, yeah, let's get them back in uh, Congress as an example to others, uh, but we're going to keep martial law in place just to be sure we don't have any more yeah. trouble. And this particular general thought it was quite likely that without some kind of further presence of the military, uh, rebellion could rise again. Who, who's our guest over here in the corner? Well, somebody walked in. Well, it's Mike Waller. Hey, Mike. Come on over, big boy. We don't have a microphone. Let me give him mine. Let me let... <coughs> hey, Mikey. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You? Oh, I'm just terrific. It is a beautiful day. Nice Columbus Day holiday. Yeah. Can I? Can you hear me? Okay. No, I can't. Well, I don't think the mics are working very well today for whatever. Well, now. Because I'm having trouble hearing uh, uh, Greg. As I was coming in listening to the radio, it was very good reception. Yeah. I except mean, for earlier. Greg and me. No, no, no. And, and, and we, to you both, uh, we, we both can hear very well. I understand. I can hear a, 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 a 357 Magnum go can off you? right next yeah. to me. Right. Yeah. Right. That's interesting <laughs> about Mr. Spence and, and the local What, local what folks. in the heck you been up to, Mike? I've been uh, busy this summer. I've been... I've had an out-of-town project, a renovation project that uh, has kept me tied up for about 12 weeks, but I've got it completed. You look like you're energetic, so it hasn't uh, taken anything away from you. Oh, no. No, I, uh, I work a while, rest a while. <laughs> well, what Take about the Sam Davis matter? The dam? Well, yeah. uh, as we speak... Uh, it's my understanding that the Corps of Engineers uh, is, has finalized their memorandum of agreement, uh, which is a document that's a compilation of research and comments made by entities. Uh, Greg and I both had an opportunity to, to comment uh, on our input, and unfortunately, uh, they took what Greg had to say about some mitigation credits and signage and from what I understand have incorporated that into an MOA. Mm -hmm. uh, they have sent the MOA to the trustees of the Sam Davis, uh, the Rutherford County School Board, of course, the owners of the property, uh, and the Cumberland River Compact, and I believe they told me the state historian uh, for signature. Uh, so that's where we are today. Uh, waiting on those entities to either sign the MOA or should either of those entities decline to sign it, from what I understand, uh, that will be the end of discussion. The initiative to destroy the dam will be over. Should all of the entities sign the MOA, then it will be up to the Cumberland River Compact, uh, the not-for-profit that uh, initiated all this process and the owners of the dam, the school board and the Sam Davis home, for them to sign another agreement uh, concerning the disposition and destruction of the dam. And, of course, the important thing, that if it gets that far, is... It just requires, from what I understand, Greg, it requires... Uh, well, it, it it approves the destruction of the dam. Right, the documentation, the signage that you made comments about, uh, the wording on the signage, uh, some stipulations that uh, the Cumberland River Compact had added earlier. Um, it will come out of the proceeds of the mitigation credits. In other words, they'll, uh, the, it initially, uh, there was like $1.5 million plus or minus to be derived from the mitigation credits. And 
they would do some conservation work. They would destroy the dam. Uh, now they're going to put up the sign. And at the end of seven years, if there's any money left, they said they would distribute it to the school board in the Sam Davis home, which Greg and I have said all along, those two entities uh, should get their compensation on the front end, not the back end. So that's yeah. if 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 all the signatories on the Corps of Engineers MOA uh, sign the MOA, that all that says is they're willing to go forward to the next step, which, as I understand, is the final step. It's uh, it, it would be left up to those three entities. Uh, most importantly, how they disperse of the funds. Right, has anybody addressed what, why this started to begin with and uh, why they took the direction that they did? $1.5 million. Yeah, Money. but who initiated? The, the Cumberland River Compact. Which is who? <laughs> There's an executive director, a young lady I met once, McKaylee Houghton. And I'm, I apologize. I'm not. I'm not pronouncing that correctly, yeah. Greg. But uh, a young lady that uh, I don't. I don't know the background. But uh, again, they are not for profit. That seeks out these low head dams uh, and and destroys them. And it goes back to a federal law back in the '60s. Uh, for conservation and rerouting streams, it basically, in, in simple layman's terms, if, if you uh, want to impede the natural flow of water uh, for a subdivision or a road or any type of development, you have to buy these credits, which allows you to compensate, you know, and allows them to, to do that work elsewhere. For instance, on the widening of Jefferson Pike in Smyrna, I think there is three or five places where the, the natural flow of water going into uh, the, the creek uh, adjacent to the, to the road that runs parallel to the road, that they had to buy these mitigation credits just to give them the right to change the flow, to put a culvert, uh, do things like that. I'm still having a hard time um, following that, and I think just about everybody else is because I'm not sure it it focused directly on the specific need and, and uh, who the people were that actually uh, were the ones that initiated this particular project, and is it all going in to that particular uh, area of, of, uh, of fixing or replacing or whatever? You know, I, I, I can't answer that. Uh, I have some. It should be simple. Something well, like it, that it, should it certainly be. should. And, and, the, and the people in that area uh, should be educated as to what's going on. Well, and, and I can tell you when it, when it first came up and, and they first put the little road sign in front of the Sam Davis home, uh, I guess that was the only public notice that was given was a little two-by-three sign mm -hmm. on the side of the road. And it it said they were uh, – and it was concerning mitigation credits. Yeah. And uh, I didn't have a clue what a mitigation credit was. I, I don't believe I'd ever heard that term before. And where, it, it, where, were, where was the money going to? Before all you guys got involved in, in trying to find out what's happening, are, are, are there uh, business groups that are? No, no. It, all the money goes to, and we've got copies of checks yeah. written directly to the Cumberland River Compact. Which is non-profit. Yes, sir. That's correct. Yes, sir. It's I am. This doesn't make sense at all. I'm sorry. Well, it's so it's so unusual and unique. Yeah. And it, I don't I don't know that uh, we've had this issue, particularly pertaining to historic property. You know. But I, you would think that it would be people that are actually involved with the Sam Davis uh, place 
the, uh, the school district and, and things like that, they're not the ones that applied for it. Am no, I right not. or wrong? No, you're, you're absolutely correct. And, and uh, you may recall that was my position on the very beginning. Uh, the Cumberland River Compact went to the Tennessee Department of Conservation and Environment and applied for this permit without the approval nor knowledge of either one of the property owners. Yeah. I mean, they, they did that, uh, I guess you'd call it a clandestine move, but uh, yeah, they, they, they did so without, uh, without uh, the knowledge nor much less the approval of either the Sam Davis trustees nor the uh, school board. I'm so glad that we've got you and Greg to stand up for our uh, uh, community because it it just uh, it just really didn't um, hold a whole lot of weight for me as far as what they were what they were basically doing. It sounds like people that are in the business community. It may be nonprofit, but it's going to be profit for someone. Well, it pays a lot of salaries. Yeah, it's a, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's a self perpetuating not for profit. Yeah, well. Um, where do you do you have an idea or a feeling on how it's going to go? Not really. Uh, you know, down deep, uh, we know what the state law that established the board of trustees says, mm -hmm. and and they're appointed by the governor, and their mission is to preserve and maintain uh, the the former home of the Confederate boyhood hero. Yeah. States specifically in state law. As for the school board, uh, I would, well, you know, your, your school board's elected to represent their constituents in their particular yeah. area. And since 100% of the money that goes to the school board is tax dollars, I can't imagine how they could decide to if you would sell an asset mm -hmm. and forego any compensation. Yeah. I mean, that's mine and yours tax dollars. Yeah. That, that uh, what, 65% of our tax dollars to the county go to the schools. Yeah. And uh, they stretch those things, those those dollars, just as far as they can. And, uh, you know, we're still, we're still educating kids in portables. I've got a good friend whose wife's been teaching for like 15 years, and she's never been in a real classroom. Wow. She's been in the portable entire, her entire uh, career. But, uh, you know, since, since it's tax dollars and they are here making a decision on what to do and they have the option to negotiate, if you will, mm -hmm. a better agreement, uh, I, I can't imagine how uh, they could face the voters if they didn't try to work a better opportunity. Uh, I don't know that it'll go to that. Like I say, from, from what I was told Friday uh, by my contact with the Corps of Engineers, and I asked specifically, I said, what if any of the signatories to the memorandum of agreement decides not to sign it? What happens next? Mm -hmm. He said, well, number one, that's never happened. But that will more than likely be the end of the discussion. So I don't know that there's a timeline. I, when they sent the letter out for comment on the MOA, they did, in fact, have a 30-day window of timeline. I can't answer the question uh, as to how long they would wait for all the, the entities to uh, sign off on it. Well, what would happen if they decide not to do anything, period, as far as the dam is concerned. The dam will stay as what, it is. What happens to the monies? Well, that's that's another question. Uh, Greg and I uh, met with some developers and, and uh, went to some meetings, and, and as we were trying to get educated on the mitigation credits, and there is a term that, that they used, and, and Greg would would be better served let Greg answer this, I think, but it involves some mitigation banks where they can uh, sell property 
and deposit those funds in their bank to be used further down the road. We know that prior to the approval from the Department of Conservation and Environment, a credit amount, not dollar amount, but number of credits was established and associated with different building projects. For instance, Century Farms mm -hmm. between here and Nashville. They had a project where they wanted to uh, develop the property and there was an old filled-in pond on the farm property that they wanted to finish filling in. And it was it had gotten to the point it, it didn't hold water year-round. It was just a wet weather low spot in the property. And so the the Department of Conservation and Environment established a number of credits uh, as to what they would have to buy for the privilege to fill in that pond. You know, it was ironic that, that they had established that even before they had approved the application from the mm -hmm. uh, Cumberland River Compact. But, uh, Greg, anything you can add about the mitigation bank? Truman, it's one of those things that, that the more you get into, the, you know, it, it seems like the more questions you ask, the more questions you have. So uh, this Cumberland River Compact, they answer to whom? I would guess they've got a board of directors uh, that that sets their policies and guidelines. and uh, uh, they, they have this young lady who's the executive director, but, you know, without their bylaws, I wouldn't have any idea. I wouldn't have any idea. I, uh, I'm not going to say anything else. Everybody knows that. Everybody's listening to this whole thing. I think most of them understand what's going on. It's just hard to put a um, a finger on it because it's so politically operated. I, I guess you might say. Well, it's uh, like one of our friends said. You know, who's going to win, the money or the historians? I'll I'll, I'll put my money on money. <laughs> well. Thank, thanks, Mike. Thank you very and, much. And and I know uh, Greg Tucker appreciates you being on his show today. And uh, yes, I think that's very thoroughly enjoyed. All right, guys, we'll see you in the morning at night. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.